What are cryptocurrencies? What are NFTs? Time to buy Bitcoin. Buy and hold. Time to sell to whales. Decentralized finance, smart contract, white paper. Well, then buy it. Well, then sell it. I don't know. A group of media organizations has uncovered evidence of a massive spying effort targeting journalists, activists, and business leaders. Diplomats from Iran, Afghanistan, China, Nepal, and Saudi Arabia, their numbers figure on the list as well. Something that is apparently in wide use by dozens of governments around the world. And it is something that defeats all of those defenses and more. Last week, the world discovered the existence of Pegasus, a spyware made in Israel and used, it seems, by many governments over the world to invade the cell phones of prominent figures, journalists, and heads of states. The scandal is going on as we speak, but as many questions remain unanswered, we at Ledger thought it would be a good moment to deep dive into the weaknesses of what we call Web2 devices, that is your smartphone or laptop. And what's true for your private data is of course true to your crypto. None of them are really safe on your smartphone. But don't panic and get ready to get secure. From Paris, this is your host Moul Sayed, and you're listening to On The Ledger. To discuss this important topic, we have Charles Guimet back on the show. To those of you who don't know, Charles joined Ledger in 2017 as Chief Security Officer after working 10 years in the cryptography and hardware security sector. He is now our Chief Technology Officer and oversees the research and development of Ledger products. We'll be joined by J.B. Bidhun, Head of Security Research at Ledger and the man behind the dungeon, a research team that works on improving the security of Ledger products as well as the ecosystem as a whole. The dungeon's fields of expertise include hardware, software security and cryptography. Let's get started. On the Ledger, episode 8, The Pegasus Aftermath. Here we go. JB, Charles, welcome to On the Ledger. Glad to have you both on the show to discuss a pretty important matter. How are you doing, gentlemen? Hey, Mo, I'm, I'm very good. Uh, always a pleasure to, to be with you. And uh, yeah. What about you, JB? Are, are you happy to be on the Ledger to discuss this topic? Hi, Mo. Uh, yeah, it's my, it's my first time on this podcast, and I'm very happy to, to talk with you today. I'm looking forward to this one. It's a pretty important topic and it might be frightening to most of our listeners. So we're just going to try to get this going in a simple fashion. Charles, could you, you know, explain to us um, that this whole Pegasus thing, I think it has taken the word by storm. A lot of people are kind of frightened. Um, was this something you saw coming? And I'm sure Jibé then will be able to explain to us exactly how it works. Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, on my side, I, I was not really surprised. Um, doing business with vulnerabilities is not really something new. Uh, when I was young, uh, security research was more a game. Uh, there, there, were, there was this game of uh, cat and mouse. Uh, security researchers were looking for vulnerabilities, mostly for pleasure. Uh, then then they, were, they were sharing them on dedicated forums and or in security conference, and they didn't um, warn the vendors. This is what we call today a full disclosure. Companies were not very happy with that. Uh, then they started to incentivize uh, security researchers uh, to warn them be- before uh, releasing those uh, vulnerabilities. Uh, this is what we call today responsible disclosure. Um, this is a kind of a gentleman's agreement where companies reward security researchers when they find vulnerabilities on their product. 
um, it's uh, it's a good thing. It allows company to patch vulnerabilities before uh, bad guys actually exploit them and uh, and uh, clients have issues. And finally, as the stakes started to be high and security vulnerabilities started to have more value and they, they started to be very interesting for uh, different actors. First of all, you have uh, criminal organizations uh, who search and exploit uh, these vulnerabilities for profits. They can do ransomware. They can uh, try to access to your bank account, uh, getting your password, then dump database in order to uh, sell them. There are plenty of ways to use uh, these vulnerabilities for a criminal uh, organization. So these vulnerabilities are interesting for a criminal organization, but also there are uh, intelligence departments who are very uh, interested in these vulnerabilities. They allow them to spy whoever they want and quite easily and very closely. Uh, technology is great, but uh, it comes with uh, this kind of uh, issues. A smartphone is uh, something very uh, intimate. Uh, it's an intimate tool that you bring with you everywhere, and it has a lot of, of information about you. And Pegasus came as a scandal because it revealed that uh, this kind of surveillance is uh, already massive. Um, but there is nothing really new. NSO, uh, the company behind Pegasus, uh, software is not unique. Uh, there are several of uh, companies specialized in exploiting vulnerabilities uh, for uh, different goals. Uh, actually, this is this is a part of the security industry. Uh, there are also uh, what we call brokers. Uh, brokers are companies which are uh, specialized in buying and selling vulnerabilities. There was a famous one which is called uh, Zerodium. You can uh, have a look to their website. They have a standard grid for pricing every interesting vulnerability. There is zero, zero click, zero day uh, for uh, each uh, different kind of software, and they have a price, and they just buy them and resell them. And to go back to your question, no, we were not surprised at all. Uh, smartphones are not designed for security, uh, and they are very interesting device um, who know a lot of things about their owners. So the security vulnerabilities uh, industry is investing a lot in breaking those and selling them to whoever pays the most. Uh, it can be intelligent department, it can be criminal activities, or whoever is interested in in those vulnerabilities. Wow, it feels like this is out of a James Bond movie or something. Jibé, I think <laughs> we all get the idea of the spyware and the, the, the Pegasus thing enabling, you know, different parties and governments to exploit vulnerabilities in phones and extract data. But I think what most people don't understand is how this actually works. Could you maybe give us a kind of simplified explanation of, of how um, someone would be able to do that to a phone or, or a laptop? Okay, so in the case of NSO, we have, uh, we have a good knowledge of how they operate exactly. Um, Actually, NSO, uh, the developers of Pegasus, are quite well known from the security community for, for several years. Uh, personally, I heard about them uh, in 2016, like, uh, like many of us, when Pegasus, the spyware, was first publicly detected. Uh, we know them because at that time, one of its customers tried to attack uh, Ahmed Mansour, who is a human rights defender from, from the Emirates. So we can guess uh, actually that the customer was the Emirates state. 
and uh, thanks to him, we, we know their existence and exactly how they, they operate. So one day, Mansour uh, receives a strange, strange message on his, uh, on his phone, on his iPhone. Uh, the message wa was talking about new secrets, about torture in emerged prisons. Uh, but it came from a number he didn't know. And uh, his phone had been pre previously targeted by, by his government. So he was quite suspicious. And instead of clicking on the li link containing the message, he forwarded it to a researcher from Citizen Lab. So Citizen Lab is a laboratory from the University of Toronto. And uh, they took the message and actually they gave it to Lookout uh, security com company specialized in mobile phone security. They studied it and they confirmed that the link led to a series of exploits that ultimately jailbreak your phone. So it takes the full control of your phone and uh, installs the, the Pegasus spyware. So what was very new at that time uh, was that all these exploits used uh, zero-day vulnerabilities. That means that these vulnerabilities had never been disclosed to the vendor, which was uh, Apple in that case. So there was no fix. The, the exploit methodology they used was pretty standard, the, but the exploits were very stable, which is quite a challenge to, to reach a high success rate. So actually, at that time, it's Already, the, it's uh, still the case now, but at that time, finding exploits to, to jailbreak your phone was hard. And being able to do it remotely without any consent from, from the victim and still silly was really quite a thing. Um, for me and for many of us, it was the first time that we saw on a mobile phone a real-world spyware exploiting such a complex chain of bugs. So how it worked exactly? Um, the, the first, first um, the link uh, you receive in the message opens a web page that exploits a vulnerability in the mobile browser or, or, or the iPhone, of the iPhone. So this first exploit allows you to execute code in the context of the browser. But so you have access to the browser data, but you cannot retrieve data from other applications. You are stuck to the browser, so you cannot access SMS and things like that. To, to access other apps, you have to elevate your privileges. So the goal is to have a root access, a full access to the device and to all of the application data. For, for this, Pegasus exploited two other zero-day vulnerabilities. There were kernel vulnerabilities, low-level vulnerabilities, and they were used to disable some system protections and to install the Pegasus firewall. So this is the exploitation process. From there, you have a full access on the phone. You can do what you want with it. You can enable the microphone stealthily, the camera, get access to the messages, the SMS, WhatsApp, the signal, and so on. And eventually, you have more control on the phone than the user himself. Um, so Charles uh, talked about vulnerability brokers. Uh, previously, I, I really think NSO is a company who develops uh, who develops spyware, but they they don't do the most technical part, uh, the exploit development. I, I think they bought it from vulnerability brokers. They assemble it to be able to target many phones, and then uh, their uh, core expertise is to develop the, the spyware. That's crazy. So let me recap this for newbies who might not know what exactly we're talking about. So basically, there's a broker on the online that uh, sells a certain vulnerability that's related to a certain device. 
And then someone buys this and targets all the phones or all the laptops that have this vulnerability with an SMS. The person who receives this SMS doesn't even know that someone is targeting them. And then everything is gone to a certain extent because the, 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 the device has been hacked. Is that, is that correct? Okay, and, and uh, the difficult part uh, in exploiting these kind of vulnerabilities is the fact that you can't um, know beforehand what kind of uh, smartphone the, the victim has, what is the, uh, the software version of this operating system and so on. And uh, it's difficult to have a, a very reliable uh, chain of exploit. This is what is difficult. And uh, NSO and this kind of company is very good at that because they are buying a lot of different vulnerabilities and they assemble them in a complete software uh, which will be um, effective whatever the version of your smartphone, whatever the version of your operating system and so on. This is where they, they are very good because they, they have uh, completely industrialized the, the way uh, to break the smartphones. Okay, and let me build on that with another question. So these weaknesses that we mentioned, um, how can they be exploited in crypto? Yeah, as, as JB mentioned, uh, whenever you are root on the device, uh, you you can do whatever you whatever you like. Uh, the vulnerabilities are quite generic. Uh, basically, uh, what we call zero-click vulnerability means that uh, the attacker sends you a packet message to infect your mobile phone device, and it's often through a messaging, a messaging application like WhatsApp or iMessage. And zero-click means that you're not even notified, and the attacker has full access to your device. That means you can do anything you can and even more, because there are plenty of things that you cannot do on your smartphone, but when you have privileged access, you can do anything. Uh, the, the attacker can extract all your data from your mobile, get all your credentials. And for instance, if you use your mobile device to uh, connect to your um, favorite crypto exchange, the attacker can do the same. Worse, uh, if you use a mobile software wallet, the attacker can extract the data, so he can extract your secrets and steal your cryptocurrency instantly. Uh, today, we see uh, state actors uh, deploying um, this uh, software exploit to spy people. But I predict that tomorrow, uh, we'll see criminal actors using their software vulnerability to steal uh, cryptocurrencies at scale. And this is the big difference because the stakes will be very high uh, in uh, in a short period of time in in, uh, in in the in the near future, and when the stakes are high, the attackers are coming directly uh, because uh, the opportunity opportunity cost is is interesting for them. So it will happen in the near future. Makes sense. And you recently conducted exploits on a variety of software wallets. How did you do that? Could you kind of walk us through the process? We did not exactly exploit software wallets. We, we made some demos to show that software wallets can be attacked using exploits on mo mobile devices. So let me explain, uh, explain the process. The first step is to know what information you want to retrieve. For, for software wallets, it's quite easy. It's generally the, the seed, the, the 12 or 24 watt seed, or the private keys used to, to spend your cryptos. Then. You have to understand how the seed or the skills are stored on, on the device. Usually they are encrypted by, by a password, a pin, a key, uh, biometrics or things like that. So th this is a 
classic reverse engineering process. You take the application, you disassemble it, you look at its code, and you understand uh, exactly how it works. After that, you, you look at the privileges. You, you need to extract this, this data. Usually, uh, root access is mandatory because you try to access this data from another application, from, from your spyware, for example. Then you write the tooling. Uh, you, you have to combine an exploit to, to get this root access. Uh, you combine it with um, a standard program to exfiltrate the wallet data. And uh, once you've exfiltrated the wallet data, you usually you can try to resource it offline on your server. So we also wrote dedicated programs to, to brute force uh, passwords, pin efficiently uh, to, to retrieve the seed in, in plain text. So actually, this is standard stuff. The challenge, challenging part is to write the exploit. Uh, for that part, we cheated a bit, and uh, we used already known vulnerabilities on an, on an outdated Android phone, and patched Android phone, actually. So our goal in that case was not to provide, to provide ready-made tools, but to highlight that this kind of attack is very possible. That's, that's very interesting. And maybe to your point about the fact that software wallets aren't the point of failure here, but rather the problem is the hardware. In other words, the smartphone or the laptop that you're using to run these wallets. Could you maybe um, tell us why uh, these hardwares don't actually succeed? in uh, protecting data and uh, digital assets. Yes, as you said, uh, generally speaking, software wallets are not the point of, of failure. Um, there have been vulnerabilities in the past in software wallets, as in any software, but it will be totally wrong to say that software wallets are really insecure by, by themselves. The, the thing is that software wallets run on complex systems. The systems are computers or, or smartphones, and these systems run dozens of applications, potentially a lot of interested ones, and they are always connected through Wi-Fi, through the cell network, so they re receive a lot of external data from many sources. They communicate using many protocols, many complex protocols, perform complicated actions, run a lot of code, so ultimately there will be vulnerabilities, and it's normal, it's just the way it works. Uh, your software wallet runs on top of your phone, so it cannot be more secure than your phone. Phones are quite secure to a certain extent, but they are not security device. They are designed first to communicate, to talk with people, to play games at a decent frame rate, but not to protect your money. That's why hardware wallets have been designed. They perform a very limited number of actions, uh, like you can sign a transaction, view your public key, and that's all. They run very few code. And their main purpose, they are specifically designed to protect your seed, which is ultimately the key to your money. You were mentioning zero, zero days click. Uh, that's how we call it. Um, what does it mean? So what does it mean to have a zero day click attack? Yeah, uh, so you, you mean uh, zero click, zero day attacks, uh, I guess. So remember when I talked about the message received by uh, Ahmed Mansour? The, the attack was detected because it was suspicious. He received the message. Uh, it seemed to, to be a bit strange, so he transferred it to, to Citizen Lab. To get infected, he had to click on the link. So this is what is called the one-click attack, a user-assisted attack, actually. Okay. But other attacks can be more stills. They, 
uh, some attacks do not require any user interaction. So instead of exploiting, for example, your browser, in that case, you need the victim to open a specific web page. They exploit uh, messaging services, for example, such, a, such as iMessage, WhatsApp, or whatever. And in such cases, your phone can be remotely compromised and you don't, nothing, you don't notice anything. You don't even see that you have received the message. This is what's called the zero-click attack. Okay. So you talk about zero-click, zero-day attack. So if the vulnerabilities exploited are unknown to the software editor, then you have a zero-day attack. Uh, to, you combine that, you have a zero-day, zero-click attack. This is like the gray for, for an attacker or for a security researcher. And uh, this is what NSO seems to have used to install Pegasus on victim devices uh, recently. Makes complete sense. Charles, you mentioned the gentleman's code at the beginning of the conversation. So once you've found those exploits, what do you do exactly? What's the process? Yeah, in, in this situation, uh, what we described, uh, what Jean-Baptiste described uh, just before, what we did is uh, actually implementing a couple of uh, proof of concept to show how it's possible to use uh, this kind of vulnerabilities to empty a software wallet. And in this case, it's more a POC rather than a new research. But when there is a new, new research and new findings, uh, definitely there is a, uh, there is a code. Uh, at Ledger, when we discover vulnerabilities on other projects, uh, we follow what we call a responsible disclosure principle. Uh, that means that we contact the vendor explaining our findings and then we give them uh, sufficient time uh, to patch the vulnerabilities and to warn uh, its users. At this time, uh, when everything is fixed, uh, we publish our findings in order to contribute to the security ecosystem and uh, to raise the bar for security. And by the way, at Ledger, on our side as well, uh, we are encouraged uh, the security community to do the same uh, with our product. Um, we have what we call the bounty program. Uh, that means that we reward uh, security researchers uh, to find vulnerabilities on our product and to do a responsible disclosure with us. Uh, and all the details can be found on the dungeon website. So we know, like we've spoken of Ledger a few times, and we know it might sound like we're self-promoting here. But in short, can you tell us why all these self-custody issues um, f don't really apply to those who might own or use a hardware wallet? Basically, how uh, hardware wallets enable most people to be safeguarded from such uh, vulnerabilities? Um, actually, hardware wallets are designed especially for uh, this very reason, uh, in order to uh, make you secure against an attacker uh, with, which has uh, some uh, software privilege. Um, because, as we know, uh, mobile and, and uh, also your desktop are very difficult to secure. There are malware everywhere. So uh, if your uh, device is compromised, uh, then you risk to uh, lose your key. Um, hardware wallet, on the contrary, they are designed for security. Uh, they are designed to protect users uh, from these uh, software attacks. Uh, in the Ledger Nano uh, threat model, even if your mobile or your computer uh, are completely uh, compromised, uh, your funds remain safe as long as you don't share your 24 words because we can't do anything against that. And as long as you verify every single action on the device before consent consenting them. Because when you accept to uh, send your funds to an address that 
uh, is not the, the address that you intend to, then you consent to send your funds. So those are the those two uh, things which has which are to be taken into account uh, when you use a hardware wallet. But they are definitely um, designed to protect you against uh, those uh, software uh, attacks, mostly because they are completely offline and they run on a dedicated hardware. So again, to everyone, never share your 24 words. Now that we've spoken about the past and the present, let's have a look at the future. This is the ledger forecast. So guys, this might be a bit of a hard question, but how do you see the future? Do you guys think there's going to be more Pegasus type of attacks? So this kind of attacks is already used by, by several law enforcement agencies and, and governments. Uh, now you have all your life on your phone, so there are big targets for, for agencies. In the past, they, they were able to intercept phone communications or internet traffic and clear, clear text. But now, um, communication messaging applications are end-to-end -end encrypted. Uh, HTTPS is, is used everywhere. Cryptography is strong, so such interceptions are more difficult, like impossible. So agencies get information where it is available in plain text, so they break directly into, into your phones. But uh, fortunately for us, these attacks are still expensive. Uh, Charles mentioned vulnerability brokers. How much does it cost to buy to buy a vulnerability? Yeah, so, so that can be very expensive for for good exploits, for stable exploits, able to like remotely jailbreak a phone. You can uh, you can pay up to one one million dollar, two million dollars. Wow! For the click, zero click attack. So this is uh, out of uh, the out of the reach of most people. Like you know, if you're if you're buying such a, such a vulnerability, you need to be you know have a return on investment and be able to you know maximize whatever you're doing with it. Yes, that's it. So this is a huge, huge investment. I think for cryptocurrencies, the, the present is to is to target uh, people using phishing. Uh, that's really cheaper and you can you can gain a lot with that. When, when phishing will be will be over, if, if that happens one day, uh, I think uh, th this kind of uh, attacks will, will be more and more, um, more and more used. Personally, my, my major concern is that this exploit can, can leak. So if they are made public for some reason, because of, of a server breach or an insider threat, there will be a, a time window during which millions of devices will be vulnerable to remote attacks before a patch is available. Uh, this could lead to a massive attack. And this, is, uh, this has already happened uh, three years ago uh, with the Eternal Blue exploit, uh, which was an exploit written by the NSA which was a secret agency who kept its secrets. And actually, this exploit was made public by the Shadow Brokers, a hackers group. It targeted Windows, and it was like a zero-click attack. It required no, no user interaction. And while the patch was already public, many people and organizations had not patched the system. So the main consequence of Eternal Blue was that a group, probably from North Korea, used uh, Eternal Blue exploits to spread WannaCry, which, uh, if you remember, was a devastating ransomware attack. And uh, in one day, there were like several hundred thousand machines which, which got infected. And it's, concert, it's con considered today as uh, the biggest ransomware, ransomware attack ever. So I really believe that, unfortunately, uh, such leaks can occur for mobile phones. Actually, I see no reason why it would not occur. Uh, we see that spyware developers such as uh, NSO have stable exploits. They are able to target many different phones. And 
I think that if NSA exploits can leak, I don't see why, why exploits for private companies uh, would not. Uh, and uh, it's in such a case, uh, criminal groups uh, would not uh, ask victims for, for ransom uh, like uh, WannaCry did, but they would directly steal their cryptocurrencies. Malware could, uh, like uh, what we did, extract directly the seed from the software wallets or the credentials for, for the exchange accounts, for, for example. That's pretty scary. And I like your point about the fact that uh, the more people will get educated uh, about phishing attacks, the more we might have more sophisticated kind of attacks. Charles, what's your take on that? Um, this question is a, is a bit difficult. For securing your uh, cryptocurrency, there is hardware wallet. For now, this is the, the, the best way to do that. But if you want, if you really want to counter those attackers uh, to attack your mobile phone or target your computer, it's quite difficult. There's no real uh, bulletproof method to counter uh, those high potential attackers because they they have a lot of money and they are highly motivated. So it's difficult. Um, the data you produce, the data you own, your privacy, uh, all these things can be very interesting for uh, different actors. And whether they are attackers or nation state actors or private companies. So what is important from my perspective is uh, to be aware of the threats and to act accordingly. Um, nevertheless, there are plenty of things which can be done in order to limit uh, the attack surface. Um, they are having good security practice is the first thing you can do uh, to protect yourself. You should use a password manager. Uh, you should use multi-factor authentication. Also, what is very important is to update your operating system and software. Because when there are the, there's a zero-day attack, then the attacker are using the zero days in order to um, take control of your mobile or of your computer. And Zero day are zero day until the vendor is aware. But when the attack uh, happens at scale, the vendors uh, start to be aware of the attack and is looking for a patch and then issue um, a security update for updating all the operating system uh, of the of the users. So if you don't update your operating system, you're not. Um, you're not protected against this attack. So updating your operating system um, makes the time frame where you are vulnerable, vulnerable to this attack uh, smaller. This is what, what you can do. Well, thanks for the tips. I think this is the perfect way to introduce our last segment of the show. This is a tip for Crypto First Grader. So Charles, you've mentioned a few tips before, but I think we can maybe build on that. Uh, given what we've said so far, um, what would be your ultimate security tips to any crypto uh, first grader who is just discovering the world of crypto and is hearing about Pegasus and about all these vulnerabilities and might be frightened? Um, unfortunately, there's no real ultimate security measure or ultimate uh, tips, but I have uh, three uh, simple tips. Uh, first of all, do your own research. Uh, crypto is a new thing, and it's not easy to understand it. The good news is there are plenty of resources available online, including on Ledger websites. So take time to read them. Uh, do not rush to implement your security setup. Take your time. Do your own research. Second advice is also very simple. 
get a hardware wallet. It's pretty cheap and it will prevent you from losing your crypto. And the last one is the most important. I think this is the 100th time I say it, but I, I, I won't stop. Never ever share your 24 words. They correspond to your private key. You back up those 24 words in your physical safe. And if one day you need to recover your wallet, you will be able to input them directly into your hardware wallet, not anywhere, anywhere else. So never share your 24 words to anyone, nor in any software. So in summary, my three tips are do your own research, get a hardware wallet, and never share your 24 words. Great. Jibé, would you add anything to that? No, no. Uh, as Charles said, I have one tip. Never share, never share your seed. <laughs> great. Well, thank you both uh, for getting our security game strong. It's always great chatting with you. Um, I hope we can have you again on the show soon. Thank you, Mo. It was a pleasure. Thanks a lot for the invitation. It was a pleasure also. That's it. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this to be useful. We genuinely believe that it's important to have such conversations as security is paramount and education is key when it comes to your security, but also to the evolution of the space as a whole. If you want to learn more about security, read Ledger Academy, watch School of Block, and feel free to subscribe to this podcast and listen to previous episodes if that's what you're into. Brought to you by Ledger, directed and edited by Theo Wiesmann. This was on the Ledger from Paris. Till next time, stay safe. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, tax advice or more generally any type of advice. Ledger will not be responsible for the consequences of reliance upon any opinion or statement contained in this podcast or any omission. Crypto assets are volatile, you should be fully aware of the level of risk involved before engaging in any crypto-related activities and you should consult your own advisors as to those matters. References to any securities or digital assets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute an investment recommendation or offer to provide investment advisory services. Please note that any loss of data, crypto assets or profit is your sole responsibility.